Well, good morning, church. Just so you know, Austin will never take the pulpit again. Totally kidding. So, last week, we had a message on worship. And what we said is worship is our response to who He is and all that He has done for us. And our expressions in worship engages all that is within me to bless His holy name. So that was last week. Well, Sandra and I just finished a devotion that Levi Lusco wrote, and I wanted to share with you just kind of the end of his book. This is what he said. Levi Lusco said, Potential is perishable. Potential has a short shelf life, an expiration date that is approaching. He went on to say, Your calling is not a Twinkie. Like milk or produce, your calling won't last forever. The works God wants you to do, if you don't seize them, they can pass you by. You have a limited amount of time to act on the plans God has for your life, or they'll be out of reach. And at first I read that and I was like, I don't know that I agree with that, but listen to the second part before you throw that out with the trash. He went on to say, there are things here on earth that you can do that will be impossible for you to do one minute after you've entered into heaven. Bringing comfort to the discouraged, feeding the hungry, sharing the gospel are all things that will be impossible to do in heaven, but you can do them while you're here on earth. Keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we go back to that verse-by-verse study through 1 Corinthians. As you're turning there, let's catch up where we were from last time. Remember, last time we were in 1 Corinthians, Paul taught that we are to remain right where we are when we were called until we are 100% positive that it's the Lord who's moving us. In other words, Christians are to obey him and leave all the results up to him. The results are his problem, not ours. Our problem is obedience. And so to tie it in with the rest of the chapter, basically Paul was saying no matter if you're married or single or divorced or widowed or remarried, the Lord can still work in your life. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't desire other things or better things, because we can. But it's talking about a contentment of staying where God has called you and doing the work He told you to do. And so today we're going to hear Paul's heart as he talks to Christians that we are to live like the Lord's coming is imminent. The Lord could come back at any time, and so we're to live that way. And remember, he just finished speaking on remaining where you were called until you know that He's moving you, and now time is short. So get after it. So if you have your sermon notes there in your bulletin, Roman numeral one, this world is passing away. If your Bibles are open, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, let's pick it up at verse 29. The Apostle Paul says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep, Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. 
those who buy as if they did not possess, and those who use this world are not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. So Paul says the time is short. The time is short for Jesus' return. So Christians, we should live anticipating his coming. Now, I would say every one of us is probably guilty of not living this out to the full, right? I mean, I didn't get up this morning and say, boy, I hope Jesus comes back so I don't have to preach this morning. But this is what Jason Allen said. He said, Jesus' second coming is not some abstract doctrine with no bearing on the Christian life. The most pressing consideration for believers is how we live knowing he can come back at any moment. We're to live expectantly, not run away and hide, but live like Jesus could break open the clouds right this moment and say, come up here. And what a day that would be. As the day approaches, we're to be about our Father's business as we wait. We're not like to put it in, in cruise control and say, okay, I got mine, so we'll just kind of cruise until he comes. No. You see, living in light of his return enables us to enjoy fellowship with him. It enables us to have the abundant life, and it enables us to answer the call that God has placed on each one of us. God has an individual call for us as Christians. Now, if you're not sure you're ready to meet the Lord, if you've had this discussion with you and you said, Self, I don't know that I am ready to meet the Lord. What a great time it is this morning for you to come to know Him personally and get your life right with Jesus, because if He comes back, please, Lord, before I finish this sermon, it would be good to know that you're going to heaven because of what He did on the cross. He loves you. He desires you to be in heaven with him. With all that being said, though, again, Christians are pendulum people, right? Mark 13 tells us that no man, and I think that includes women, knows the time or the hour of his return. This is what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.1. He said, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord... So comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. There in your notes. Just as a thief does not normally warn his victims he's coming to break into their home, no one knows the exact time the Lord will return. I think a lot of people, I would say most people, are going to be caught off guard when Jesus returns to a Christ-rejecting world. I, I think they're going to be, what happened? So what Paul is saying is, stay awake spiritually. Stay awake. Stay in fellowship. Serve the Lord. Because your death is not the end of the story. John Trapp said, the ancient Greek word for short is sestelo, meaning contracted and rolled up like sails that are used by mariners when a ship draws near to the harbor. There in your notes. So time is short means the harbor is near, and the sails are shortened to get the ship ready to go into harbor. You see, if we truly believe this stuff, 
If we truly believe that time is short, the things of earth, as the hymn would say, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, right? They seem to matter less and less because I have an eternal perspective. I think time is short. And so things of this world grow strangely dim. Notice what Paul says, though. The form of this world is passing away. The form. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in them will be burned up. So heavens, it means the expanse of the sky, right? The atmosphere. Listen to what Strong's Concordance says about great noise in that verse. In the New King James Version, with a hissing or crackling sound. Wearsby said this is the same sound that you hear when an atomic bomb goes off. That whirling, that hissing. The world is going to melt with a great heat. And the things of earth are going to melt crackling sound the word melt in second peter 3 10 is to disintegrate dissolve something that breaks down to the basic elements there in your notes leon morris said there is nothing solid and lasting in this world system it is its nature to pass away it is folly for the believer to act as though its values were permanent Nothing physical from this world is going to make it when that great fervent heat comes. And so the bottom line to this first point is, because we know time is short, we don't plant our roots deep here. Instead, we plant our roots deep in Christ. Time is short. Be about your father's business. And what you see here is the matrix. We're living in the matrix. This is not real. It's not. And that's the best way I can describe it. So that brings up Roman numeral two, to serve the Lord without distraction. Serve the Lord without distraction. Look at verse 32. Paul says, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of this world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, catch this, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distractions so he who is unmarried cares for the things of the lord we learned this last week or a couple of weeks ago that a single person can serve the lord and it has advantages being single because you can be single-minded about serving christ there in your notes warren wearsby said the word care means to be anxious or to be pulled in different directions to be anxious Pulled in different directions. Boy, that describes our world today, does it not? And, and know this, Paul is not condemning the married person. We talked about this several weeks ago. Paul is simply saying, if you're unmarried, 
You can serve the Lord. If you're married, you're going to naturally focus on your spouse, and you should. Because the first ministry of a married man is to his family and to his wife. And the first ministry of a married woman is to her husband and her family. But a single person who's called to serve the Lord will have fewer distractions. You know, they could stay out late. They could do whatever they want with their times, talents, and treasures. And nobody is going to tell them any different. Single-mindedness. There in your notes, Paul is not saying it's impossible for a married person to serve the Lord, but the married Christ followers' first ministry is to their spouse, and this could be a distraction if we weren't careful. That's the bottom line, if we're not careful. And notice he says, I say this for your own profit, not to put a leash on you. Paul is speaking as a spiritual father, basically saying, I don't want to put a noose around your neck. I'm just trying to tell you how it is for your own good. If you're single and God's called you to singleness, don't fight it. If you're married and God's called you to be married, don't fight it. In order to fulfill the purpose God has for us, Jesus has to be number one on our, thr on our thrones. So many times I have to examine the throne of my life and say, who is sitting on that throne? And I can really easily ascertain who's on my throne by the decisions I make. I look and go, oh, Jesus is on the throne of my life. After all, I'm a pastor. I'm paid to do this stuff. And then I look at some of the decisions in my life, and I realize maybe he's not. And so in order for me to fulfill the Lord's call in my life, I have to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and put him on his rightful place kick self off the throne and place him back where he belongs. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 31, Jesus said, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Boy, is that not true. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So again, for Christ followers, how we ascertain who's on the throne is just take a look at your life. Take a look at your decisions. Who's sitting on that throne? And by the way, if it's your spouse, kick them off. If it's your child, kick them off. If it's your car, kick it off. If it's self, most importantly, kick yourself off that throne. We're to put the Lord first place in our lives, seek his kingdom, and our life choices will enable us to place him back on that throne and serve him where we are. There in your notes, an eternal perspective is needed by all Christians in order to not become distracted with the things of the world. An eternal perspective. So Roman numeral three, arranged marriages. Arranged marriages. Look at verse 36. The Apostle Paul says, But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity but has the power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then, he who gives her in marriage does well, 
But he who does not give her does better, does better. So this is a confusing passage, and I had to, you know, really break it down and study, and I, I won't go into all what I learned from it. But basically, what Paul was doing, here again, he's answering another question from one of the Christians at the church at Corinth. Remember, they had written him some questions. Can I get remarried? Do I get divorced? What do I do? And so here again, he has the question, and this question was, should I arrange my daughter's marriage? Should I arrange a marriage for my daughter? And, and he's speaking to a father of a young person who wants to arrange a marriage and doesn't know, well, you've talked about staying single, Paul, so do I arrange this marriage? And when he says behaving properly, what he's basically saying is this father was denying marriage for either his daughter or his son who was marrying age, but yet they didn't have the gift of celibacy. The person did not have the gift of celibacy, and the father is trying to make them stay unmarried. Now, think about arranged marriages. They've been around all the way since Adam and Eve, right? I don't think Adam had much choice on marrying Eve. I could be wrong. I think that was arranged by the Lord. I want you to think about Abraham trying to find a suitable bride for his son Isaac. Genesis 24.1 now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac. You may remember in the law that God told the Israelites, don't intermarry with those Canaanites. The Canaanites are cursed. Basically, they're sinful heathens. They do not know the Lord. Don't go intermarry with them. Because you know something I've learned, and maybe you haven't learned this in your walk, that usually non-believers will pull me down quicker than I can pull them up. And so God is saying, hey, don't intermarry. And so Abraham says, please, whatever you do, I don't care if she's a looker, she seems gentle, anything. Go to my family, go to my people and get someone that's equally yoked. So Paul said the same thing to the church. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, we'll get to it in several weeks. Do not be deceived that evil company corrupts good habits. How many times I have counseled people that they said, you know, well, Spurgeon drank beer in a bar and, and led people to Christ so I can be around my non-believing friends and be a great witness. Only to have them come in a month later and they got pulled down by sinful people. I'm not saying don't be in the world. We got to be in the world. We got to show them Jesus. We got to be a light to a dark place. But you had better be careful. You had better put on the full armor of God and be the light of the world when you go out there to intermingle with non-believers because let me tell you something, pretty soon you'll be close to that sin and pretty soon you'll be in that sin and pretty soon you won't even know that you're sinning. There in your notes, 2 Corinthians 6.14, the Apostle Paul said, Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? 
And what communion has light with darkness? I'm not an advocate of prearranged marriages unless it's God doing the arranging. Just can I tell you, I'm not one of these guys that think that's a great idea at all. But can I tell you a secret? And please tell your single friends this. A believer who is unequally yoked with a non-believer in a relationship will suffer consequences for disobeying God. And I cannot tell you how many people that I've hurt their feelings, lost their friendship, everything else, because I have said, don't be unequally yoked. Oh, but I can flirt to convert. No, you can't, right? Evangelism dating doesn't work. I can tell you story after story, and they're not mine to tell, but I am telling you what. been in ministry a long time, and, and evangelism dating not once, not once has worked. There are, here's the issue. You get married to a non-believer, and there's going to be arguments how you raise the kids. Do we take the kids to church? Do we give to the church? Do we serve the church? What are we going to do? Sundays, this is more important. That's more important. All these arguments that happen. And pretty soon you're five years into this marriage and you're like, what happened? God, why did you do this to me? Right? It was God who did this to you. Marrying someone who's not like-minded will always lead to trouble. But then notice, he says, the flower of her youth. Dr. Kenneth Wu said, when Paul mentioned the flower of her youth, it meant past the bloom of her youth. There in your notes. Wearsby said, the danger, of course, is that she would rush into marriage just to avoid becoming a spinster, and she may make a mistake. It's better to stay single than to marry the wrong person. And Guzik said, you know, Paul wasn't giving you the choice between marriage and single as good and bad, but between better and best. What's better and best? And for Paul, in light of the present circumstances there in Corinth, he was saying, look, singleness is better. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. Stay single, serve the Lord. However, Roman numeral 4, there is liberty for remarriage. Look at verse 39. Paul says, a wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes. But catch this, only in the Lord. But she is happier. She remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I also think that I have the Spirit of God. Now, we talked about, several weeks ago, remarriage for Christians. And we talked about all these reasons that are biblical reasons of why you can be remarried. And I'm not going to go back down that road, but can I just tell you, if you're sitting in here today and you've been divorced and you're sitting there wondering what God has for you, I would love to speak to you. I probably have been there, done that, and I could probably offer you some godly advice. Don't be condemned about this. This particular portion is talking to widows. There in your notes. A Christian widow has the right to remarry after the death of their spouse. However, they're only permitted to marry someone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. Like I said a while ago, unequally yoked. It will burn you. Trust me when I tell you. And, and basically, Paul's saying, if you can stay unmarried, stay that way. 
but not everyone has the gift of celibacy. Again, if a person considers that time is short and tells others about Jesus, the choice between married and single is better and best. And again, the gift of celibacy, I mean, Paul very clearly earlier on told us, if you cannot, because of lust, remain single, go get a spouse. It's better to get a spouse than to constantly be fighting that lust. And it's not that sex was evil, because that's what some in Corinth were teaching, right? That now that we're Christians, sex is evil, and I need to get divorced from my spouse because sex is evil. No, no, no. But an unmarried person will have more opportunity to serve the Lord. Wearsby said, Each person must ask himself or herself the following questions to be contemplated about marriage. Listen to these. This is a good list. First of all, what's my gift from God? What's my gift? Second, very important, am I considering marrying a believer? Very important. Number three, are the circumstances right for marriage? Number four, will getting married affect my service, my call for Christ? And number five, and here's an unpopular one in the year 2022, am I prepared to make this union a lifelong commitment? And I would say both those words in that sentence, lifelong and commitment, are both 30 words. So let's get practical. Again, Paul talked a little bit about marriage, but more than marriage and remarriage, the topic of this passage, the important topic is Time is short. Don't get bogged down in the mud with marriage and remarriage. Time is short. Whether you're married, whether you're single, divorced, widowed, time is short. Verse 29, this I say then, brethren, time is short. Jesus' second coming is not some abstract doctrine that has no bearing on the Christian life. The most pressing consideration of your Christian walk is time is short. We're to live expectantly like he could come at any minute. Become the followers that this dark world needs to see so they'll want what you have. And why is it so important to believe that Jesus can come any moment? There's where we're going to end. Why is that so important? And this is where we'll spend the next 10 minutes. Why? Because it has such a powerful effect on how we live for Christ. If you knew that he was coming back tomorrow morning, what would you do today? That's a good question, because if you lived that way and you believed it, it would affect your today. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, as a student of the Word of God, there's no way to escape the fact that time is short. Look around you. I have never been an advocate of reading the newspaper in one hand and reading the Bible in the other and trying to see what's happening. But you've got to be dense if you don't see God's fingerprints all over what's happening today. The signs of the time are all around us. And again, Mark 13, no man knows the hour. But boy, there's sure some signs that we can look at. And if you're yearning to see him return, if that's the yearn of your heart, Pray and ask God for opportunities to snatch a couple on your way out. 
The Apostle Paul gave a wake-up call in the book of Romans for believers. Let me read this to you. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time that now is high time to wake out of your sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore... Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Christ's return is nearer today than when we first believed. Every day, every hour brings us a little closer. And so how are we to redeem the time? Again, Levi Lusco, there are things that you won't be able to do one minute after you're in heaven that you can do right now. Think, think about that. That so impacted me. There are things that I can do on earth that I can't do in heaven. I've always thought about there's things in heaven I can do that I'll never see while I'm here on earth, right? That's what we think about, the streets of gold and being at Jesus' feet. And I can only imagine, right? But what about the thought that there are things you can do here that you can't do there? That's kind of like reverse, isn't it? Comforting the discouraged feeding the hungry, telling people about Jesus, preaching the gospel. I have often said, and, I'll, and if you heard me say it before, then you can close your ears, but can you imagine being gifted with praying with the last soul that was to come before Jesus came back? And you're in the middle of this, talking about the birds of the air and the stars and the moons, and Jesus loves you, and you want to accept Christ, and the person says, yeah, let's pray, and you say, dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Boom! Rapture happens. And when you open up your eyes after saying amen, you're in heaven with the last soul that was to come. And you got the privilege of leading that. Oh, man, I'm going to get, I, I got to quit. <laughs> so there's three things I want to give you as a lift, list of thinking about Jesus's imminent return. Number one, wake up. Wake up. Romans 13, 11, and do this knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of your sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It seems like Paul is saying, you know, it's, it's actually possible to be a believer and to sleepwalk. That's kind of a tough thing, right? You mean to tell me that I can be asleep and not even realize it? Have you ever been praying? This is the worst for me. You're praying and all of a sudden you're out. And you wake up and you go, How'd that happen? I was sleeping and didn't even know it. How about those dreams? You know those dreams that you have and you're in this containment area and you're like pushing and pushing and I got to run for the light switch. I need light. I need light. And you, you just can't get out of bed. And then you wake up and you go, that was a dream. It was so real. I was asleep and I didn't even know it. I can't believe I was sleeping. You can be serving the Lord and be spiritually asleep and not even know it. You can go to church every week and be spiritually asleep. The Lord's coming soon. It's time to wake up. So wake up's number one. Number two is dress up for the time. Dress up. Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let's cast off the work of darkness. John MacArthur said, Paul evokes the picture of a soldier who has spent the night in a drunken carousing. 
Still clad in the garments of his sin, he's fallen into this drunken stupor of sleep. And now it's time to wake up, throw off those clothes, and put on the armor of light. The Greek word translated cast off is a term of being forcefully removed. Throw it off. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So wake up, dress up. Number three, put on. Put on. Again, verse 12, and let us put on the armor of light. Again, go back to that soldier all night drunken carousing and days dawning. It's time to wake up and cast off those clothes and put on something clean and something new, polished and battle ready. Putting on the full armor of God for the spiritual warfare that he was about to go into. Christ is coming back soon. And, and, you know, Scripture never teaches us to sit around on our blessed assurance just hoping the day comes. Scripture doesn't teach that. There in your notes, we put off the old man and put on the new man in Christ. And there's basically two reasons we do this. Number one, Jesus is our chief commander. Jesus is our commander-in-chief the lover of our soul. And he said, be dressed for battle, get ready. And then number two is the reason, because Acts 1.8 says we're going to be his witnesses. We're going to be his witnesses. We need to be dressed and ready. So when the world looks at us, they see our spiritual outfit. They see us dressed in Christ. They see us ready to go. So I say this, and in, in, in a room this size, I know there are people who are just listening and say, that's a great message, and maybe they don't know Jesus. And so I want to take a minute, because I believe with all my heart that time is short. I do. I'm not just sitting up here telling you I think time is short. I believe it. I've lived long enough, and I've watched this world degrade into the place that it's at. And so I'm going to say this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, what a great time this morning would be to come to know my Jesus. Our first problem is that sin has separated us from our God. That's our problem. It's every man's problem, every woman's problem. Our sin has separated us from our God. The prophet Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities, that sin, has separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So God's remedy, the cross, the cross. The, the book of Hebrews very clearly tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of perfect blood, we're lost in our sin. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit. Jesus was born to die. His whole mission statement, I came to save lost sinners. 
If you're a lost sinner, He came for you. He came to die. He was born to die that we might have eternal life as a response to His free gift. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So here it goes. Here's the final exam, kids. Ready? Here's the final exam. I hope you're ready for this test. Here it is. Number one, admit you're a sinner and need forgiveness. And don't worry if you don't want to admit it in front of everyone else. We're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's number one. Admit that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness. Number two, believe. That's trust. All your heart, believe that Jesus died and rose again that you may have life. Number three, through prayer, confess that Jesus Christ, Him and Him alone, is the only way. He's the only way to the Father. He's the only one that can forgive you. He was the only one that was perfect, lived that life so that He could take the cross. And then the last one, commit your heart. Out of response for what you've done for me, Jesus, I give you my heart. All of me, worshiping all of you. You're the only one worthy to be praised. And by doing that, then he gives you this perfect peace that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know. When he comes back, boy, howdy, I'm going. I'm, I'm going to be part of that great cloud of witness, and I can't wait. But the only thing that would break my heart is if you don't come with me. That would break my heart. It would break my heart to know that you sat in living faith fellowship on this day and that you heard the gospel and hardened your heart and refused it. And so part of our worship is telling God all that he's done and being thankful for all that he is and letting him know, I love you, Lord. I love you because you first loved me. You died for me. And so I would really ask you, this, this is how I want to end, and it's not in my notes or anything else, not even what I planned, but this is how I'd like to end. This morning, if you're in this room, and if you're not, that's kind of weird. <laughs> but if you're in this room and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sin, I would ask you, please, just as a personal favor, humor this old guy. Take a minute and reflect on the words that I just said. That we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that there's a God in heaven who created, and someday we're going to stand before a holy God and have to give an account. And the only account that's going to save you is that I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. So if you don't know my Jesus this morning, please humor me. Take a minute and let the Spirit of God speak to your heart this morning. And what a day of rejoicing that will be. You know, Luke tells us, that the angels in heaven celebrate when one sinner comes to repentance? I mean, can you imagine the party in heaven if one person today comes to Christ? Jesus is coming soon. There's no doubt about it. I mean, even non-believers can read the paper and go, what is going on here? Look around you. He's coming soon and very soon. We're, we're going to go meet the Lord. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. And every week there, there are prayer partners in the back who would just love to pray with you. We count it a joy. And, and I know the testimony of all these men and women, and it's so great. Ask them to share their testimony.
they'd love to tell you how we're all messes. I'm going to make a t-shirt, I'm a mess for Jesus. <laughs> Give me your order, I'm going to put the order in next week. But ask us for our testimony. Let us tell you how real and what Jesus has done in our lives, and we'd love to tell you. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we look at the times, and as Paul said then, time is short. Be about Dad's business. Father, I pray for those in here this morning who know you, who are your kids, that, God, we would just anticipate your soon return, and that, God, we'd start being about your business and put you back on the throne where you belong. And, Lord, if there's any, even one person this morning who's listening by YouTube or that's in the room this morning, God, if they don't know you, be the hound of heaven. Grab their hearts. Lord Jesus, we need you. May they know that there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There's eternal life as a free gift of salvation. We love you. God, get them. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithklamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.